you and ours online at tavernonmainny.com. And from listeners like you who donate at wjffradio.org. Welcome to the local edition news and information to keep you connected in the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. I will not be your host for long because it's the first Tuesday of the month, and that's when we hand things over to Bill Williams and the Kingfisher Project. Before we do that, I will let you know we have a big show for tomorrow. Tomorrow is International Women's Day, and we will have that interview with the League of Women Voters of New York State talking about the new Let New York Vote uh, Coalition. We'll be talking about that tomorrow, and uh, Valerie Mancy will do an interview about the local celebration for International Women's Day that's actually happening this weekend. So tune in for all of that tomorrow evening on the local edition, but this evening, it's time for the Kingfisher Project. Welcome to the Kingfisher Project, information and awareness about the heroin and opiate epidemic. I'm Julie Pazal. The Kingfisher Project began in memory of my daughter, Rebecca Jean Pazal, who was shot and killed due to her heroin addiction. At her memorial service, her former teacher, Mr. Okazalik, read an essay she wrote. It was about a bird, an injured kingfisher bird that she found and rescued when everyone else had given up on the bird. In that spirit, our community came together and formed the Kingfisher Project. Since 2014, we have been raising awareness about the drug and opiate crisis in our listening area and around the country, right here on Radio Catskill. Here is Bill Williams. Thanks, Julie. My guest this evening is Alexis Plus, the executive director of Truth Farm. Alexis is a licensed professional engineer with over 25 years of experience in the design and construction industry, has been a corporate trainer for over 20 years, and was an adjunct professor for nine years in the civil engineering program at SUNY Broome. The most important role she's had in her life is being the mother of three sons. Unfortunately, in 2014, she lost her oldest son, Jeff, to a heroin overdose, and as a result of that experience, founded Truth Farm. Truth Farm is a nonprofit organization with a focus on raising awareness, reducing stigma, educating and advocating to reduce the harms caused by substance use. The organization is deeply committed to social and racial justice issues as they move forward addressing the current overdose epidemic with the ultimate goal of ending the war on drugs. Truth Farm is a grassroots organization that has impacted legislation, the way our community views substance use, and has gained national recognition. Alexis serves on a statewide coalition to end overdose in New York, and she's the co-chair for the New York State Harm Reduction Association. Her work is her therapy and allows her to fulfill her purpose in life to turn negative experience into positive change for the greater good. The greatest gift Truth Farm has given Alexis is the gifts of saving lives. And for that, we thank you, Alexis. Welcome. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Truth Farm, and Farm is spelled P-H-A-R-M. Is there a story behind that? Yeah, there is. Um, when when I started Truth Farm, the epidemic was referred to as a heroin epidemic, and very few people were talking about the role that pharmaceuticals played uh, in the overdose epidemic. And so to... Two of the things that I wanted our organization to commit to was elevating the issue and raising awareness about the role that pharmaceutical companies had played um, in this epidemic. And I made a commitment that our organization would be one that would always tell the truth. 
And so uh, there came the name Truth Farm. Um, and it's also a little bit of a play on words because my son, when he was alive, was in the process of wanting to turn our uh, farm home and property back into a, a real farm. And so, you know, it's kind of a, I I slip my son in, even if um, in secret places in our work, wherever I can. And so it, it was also a play on words and a remembrance of, you know, his his goals. So I understand I say when I'm giving a speech or I finish the speech, I often say we will prevail. Nice. Exactly. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, but um, I, you're, you're not alone. One of the things I've noticed, and I'm wondering, curious whether this has occurred to you, that there are a number of organizations doing different things, similar, but but different, maybe going about a different way. Kingfisher Project is an, an example. Nearly all of them are founded by women, by mothers. Has that occurred to you? Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, very much so. Um, and I mean, some of the thoughts that I have about it is that it's it's surprising to me, disappointing, frustrating, annoying that um, I feel like in large part, a lot of um, mothers are still ignored um, and we're not always taken seriously. Um, I, I tease a lot of times and say, like, if I had a dollar for every time I was referred to as passionate in a derogatory way, I'd be, you know, pretty wealthy by now. <laughs> people like to people like to use that phrase. And I think it's um, yeah, it's they typically mean it in a more uh, derogatory way than than positive. Um, but, you know, moms uh, traditionally are very impactful in advocacy work. And, and one of the things now, after doing this for years and years, I less often hear that I'm passionate and more often hear like, wow, you really don't give up. And I feel like, well, that's, you know, that's kind of the role of a mom um, in the work that we do is just not giving up. And, and so, yeah, I'm I'm grateful at least to have the opportunity to do this type of work and make whatever change I can. Well, that, that not giving up, I, I've taken to referring to myself as a person in long-term advocacy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it is hard because I, I'm, I'm sure you've encountered people that have been engaged and then at some point it just gets to be too much or. or... Yeah. 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 That's um, that's the thing. Like, at this, uh, you know, I was mentioning to you earlier, we went to the Opioid Settlement Board yesterday and, you know, we can talk more about that if you want. But one of the things that came up was, um, you know, they were trying to they were talking about trying to find grassroots organizations. And, and my thought was, I have seen so many come and go. And it's in large part because the work is tiring, it's exhausting, um, it's hard to get funding, it's hard to make a living while you're doing this, and and the work, um, you know, the work can put you in the grave too. It's it's very uh, emotionally taxing work on top of everything else. Um, but yeah, I've seen a lot of families come and go. I I think it's unfortunate. I think that we need to involve families a lot more in this work. Um. I guess our audience is aware that you're in Broome County, so you're close to Binghamton. Yeah. And uh, we're near 
Liberty were in Sullivan County, really. Mm-hmm. Were also East. Let me get my director state. Eastern Pennsylvania, too. Um, you and I mentioned the 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 connection with with the highways. How how it is that in in parts of New York that in many ways are rural, there still seem to be still seems to be a problem with drugs, drug distribution, drug addiction. Um, and any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I mean, you you made the observation um, about the highways and the linkages, and I, I think you're, you know, really accurate on that. Um, and, you know, we, we were talking about the fact that Beth Macy's book, Dope Sick, um, the areas that she studied were along Route 95. And so she noticed the same thing, the areas of concentration of um, overdose and overdose fatality seem to follow a, a major highway. Um, yeah, so I guess, you know, that's a big part of the drug trafficking. And we do a lot of work in our rural communities out around us as well. And I remember several years ago, we were doing work in um, Cooperstown, New York. And at that time, baggies of heroin in Broome County were like 10 to $11 a baggie. And in um, Cooperstown, they were like 28 to $32 a baggie, which, you know, it was hard for me to fathom that even people were even being able to afford, you know, a drug addiction in that community. But I think their rates of addiction were so much lower because the price was so much higher. And it's and again, it's because they're not near any major highway route. You know, it's like that much further that the drug distribution needs to go to get to those tiny little communities. Did you know yeah. Because they're often branded. I mean, you, you have the baggie and it's got a brand on it, a stamp. Um, oh. My son, when he, when he was using, we were was in Manhattan, right in Manhattan. And then he went to a, a rehab on Long Island. And he's talking to contemporaries, peers of his that are using on Long Island. And it was the same brand. It was called Thrive. Wow. I mean, somebody had a huge area that they were covering. Yeah. A lot of product. Is yeah. That, wow. Does that sound like anything that's happened that you've run into up there? Um, n- not exactly, but it brings up um, it brings up a really strong memory for me that I talk about frequently. Well, one I want to I want to mention because the baggy mark is, um, you know, I have a personal story connected that that too as well. My um, when my son Jeff died, the baggy baggies of heroin that he used were marked. Uh, the the trademark or the brand mark was all good. And I always think about that because it was just so, I don't know, it felt like pouring salts in the wood, wounds, you know, it was like, it absolutely yeah. was not all good. Um, yeah, it was really, it was such a painful um, thing to learn. But anyways, um, I have not seen that, but it reminds me of this conversation when, when Jeff first passed away, I uh, was meeting with a narcotics, a New York State Narcotics Bureau police officer, and he he said some pretty stunning things to me. But one of the things that he indicated to me, which I I was really shocked, he he indicated that um, police are prevented from going up very high in the distribution chain of drug supply. 
And you know what you're saying proves that point even further. Um, you know, he said to me, anytime you see a great big drug bust, and, and especially when they talk about wiretapping, ask yourself why they weren't able to go even higher. And so every time I see a drug bust and I see, oh, they were surveilling this group for months and months and months and they were wiretapping and listening to them, I always think about what that officer said to me. It's like, well, if they were wiretapping and they knew when they were getting a supply, how did they not know where the supply was coming from? Why weren't they able to go higher? And what this officer said to me is they don't want to. You know, there's a reason why there are people who are able to distribute drugs and there's a reason why they, they aren't able to go any higher. That's directive, um, which kind of freaks me out, you know, in a way it makes you sure wonder who's behind this and who allows this stuff to flow so freely. But to think that there's, you know, what you just conveyed is a pretty powerful piece of information that there was so much of that substance flowing in that it was able to meet, you know, reach some large urban areas. That's that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Well, it sounds like maybe I'm not even reading between the lines. It sounds like you're saying follow the money. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what he was saying. Follow the money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I did. There was a story in, in uh, Livingston Manor where they f followed followed some dealers and they wound up with the state police following cars back down toward the city. And ultimately, they tracked down. If you, have, you, have you heard about this? A couple of guys were. Wow. They found some dealers in an apartment building in the Bronx and the guys were literally jumping out of second story windows to avoid being caught. But they oh, did, wow. it did become a significant bust. Wow. This is years ago now. Yeah. Um, what do you what do you see in your area? What's what's the biggest problem you're facing right now, do you think? Um we, well, we um it's it's funny because some of the biggest issues that we're facing are more about the systems. Um than the substance use itself, if that makes any sense. So like if I, I'll explain further, but we have a lot of issues colliding um, in our society at once. We have housing crisis and in our area, we have a serious housing crisis. And I know it's, you know, it's that way in many, many areas. So we have a significant unhoused population. We have a wage crisis, you know, where people aren't able to make enough money to eat or, you know, have their basic needs met. And then we have that all colliding with, uh, you know, people's mental health being a challenge. And then that leads to more substance use and the cycle continues and continues. It is really difficult for people to get well if they're not housed and they're they're not able to meet their basic needs. Of course, the solution to their problems to, is to use a substance that makes all their problems go away in their mind, you know. Um, and so our our biggest client base at Truth Farm is an unhoused population. And it's it's a population I view as having slipped through the cracks and unable to access services because their addiction has been going on for so many years. They, they, it's challenging for them to comply with um, a lot of the treatment programs and systems that are out there. And I think that that's the case for a lot of people. Um, 
I think our treatment systems are too embedded in a punishment um, methodology of delivering treatment. And so people whose lives have become really complicated tend to not want to go to treatment because treatment has traditionally just made their lives even more complicated. And it makes me really sad because it, it makes me feel like it's a large group of people that, that our treatment system and society has just given up on. Um, and I just don't think we're ever going to fix the problem until we're willing to address all of the needs of a human being, um, you know, even while they are using substances or when they want to quit using substances, I think that we need to um, really remove treatment from um, a system of punishment. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> it sounds it sounds to me you could have, I'm not saying you copied but by any chance, but it sounds like uh, you mentioned Beth Macy's book before, um, you described, it's almost like you just gave a book review and <laughs> applied it to your neighborhood. That's fun. Beth and I think a lot alike. <laughs> Have you ever met? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm in her second book and we've, um, we've had right. a lot of, yeah. That's right. Yeah, and Raising Lazarus. And we ha we've had a lot of phone conversations. She's the most knowledgeable journalist that I've ever met with on this issue. She just, you know, she knows about so many things, drug trafficking, drug policy, drug use, drug addiction. She just says poverty. I mean, she's just really well-versed. She's really fabulous to talk to. Um, any Anybody else, any other writers or speakers that uh, come to mind that you recommend? Um, uh, not so much... Um, Writers, well, I like uh, Gabor Mate um, and speakers. I mean, Cassandra Frederic is my all-time favorite. She's the director of Drug Policy Alliance. I just, um, and she's another person who understands the whole beast. She understands that we can't, we can't expect people to get well if we're not taking care of their basic needs. And we can't expect them to reach out for help when very often help is also punishing people. And so, um, yeah, I, I just, um, I've learned a great deal from her and, and think she's just incredible. Have you read uh, <laughs> book on doing drugs? I haven't read that one yet, but I want to, I've heard it's wonderful. It's wonderful because when you talk about harm reduction, it's really, it's a history of harm reduction and she's someone else who knows, she makes me think because she is one of a number of people that I've encountered either through reading or actually have met people who themselves are in recovery and know the story, know things that somebody like me can never, I can experience it as a parent, but never having used. Um, but people who are in recovery and have both, both depth and, in terms of their knowledge, but also depth in terms of their soul. Yeah. Yeah, she cares deeply about this issue for sure. Um, oh, <clears throat> we talked before we went on, went on the air, we should talk about it. You talked about the National Trail of Truth. That's, yeah. something, that's something you started, so tell us about it. Oh, I'd love to. It's my favorite. So, um, 
We started this event in Binghamton, New York in 2016, uh, really is not with no intentions at that time of creating an annual event. We actually started, started it as an act of activism. We found out through um, just kind of paying attention to what was going on that it seemed like our county was underreporting overdose fatalities. And so, you know, we naively reached out to the county thinking that they would be receptive to hearing that they were underreporting overdose fatalities. But instead, they pushed back and said, we didn't know what we were talking about and their numbers were accurate. So then we started um, really watching closely and, and collecting overdose data from the community. And around um, June of 2016, we, we felt that the amount of overdoses that the county was reporting was half of what was actually occurring. And so we decided that we would pull together an event for Overdose Awareness Day that would make the death so obvious that the county couldn't deny it. And so the way we did that is we had families submit their loved ones to be memorialized. And we, I'm an artist, so I also tend to incorporate art a lot in the work that I do. So um, we made a visual representation. We created a tombstone for each loved one who had passed with their picture on it. And we made them lovely. You know, they were each, you know, a work of art. And we made a memorial cemetery um, and we had speakers and then we marched to our county office building and we laid on the sidewalk and had our bodies traced. And then we wrote the names of our loved ones in the tracings and then wrote beautiful things about our loved ones in the tracings to make a real powerful statement um, that just was undeniable. These were the family members who lost their loved ones. So what could the county say? They couldn't deny it anymore. And um, as a result of that action, our DA paid attention and actually did an investigation. And at that time, the county was claiming we had 16 overdose fatalities. We believed that it was in the 30s of, over, you know, around 33 overdose fatalities. The DA did an investigation and found that it was 53 overdose fatalities. And so the county, you know, was lying about, you know, missing about two thirds of the overdoses that were happening in our county. And, and I think, you know, again, it's like stigma and they didn't want to say the area was hit so hard. Um, so they were just lying about it. But what what we started out as an act of activism, we realized was also a really important event for our community. It was healing. It was powerful. It gave people a place to put their grief and to advocate. And so we hosted that event every year at home since. So we've done it every year since, and it's grown bigger and bigger, and it's really powerful and beautiful. So we've wanted to take the event national for several years. And this past year, we we did it, which was very exciting. So we pulled together partners all across the nation. We ended up having um, partners from, I think it was 30 states. We memorialized 1,200 loved ones in Washington, D.C. with the Memorial Cemetery. We now refer to it as the National Memorial Cemetery set up right in front of the Capitol. So the Capitol was the backdrop to the Memorial Cemetery. The visualization of it is just so incredibly powerful. I, I wasn't even prepared for how big it would be putting 1,200 tombstones out. It was just so huge and, and powerful and beautiful. We had people from 21 states attend. 
We had loved ones represented from 47 different states. Um, and it was just a really powerful healing um, and important event. And we intend to do it again this year. Um, we're, you know, really looking forward to it and want it to be bigger and better. And our our ultimate goal is, I've noticed since the beginning of getting involved in this work that, there, and it's surprising to me, there still hasn't been it, but I think we're going to create it or we're going to make it happen. There's been no visual representation, like say the AIDS quilt for the overdose epidemic. Um, and so we we hope that we are going to be creating the AIDS quilt moment when the Trail of Truth gets big enough in, in D.C. And our goal this year is 5,000 um, memorializations in D.C. So that's what we're aiming for for September. When in September? Uh, September 23rd. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Well, congratulations. And we'll make, sure, we'll make sure we add one more. I know... A lot of deaths reported as um, heart failure. Of course, that could be every death. Um, or where families don't want don't want a family member um, recognized as as someone who is addicted to a substance. That there are lots of reasons that the the truth doesn't isn't made apparent. Yes. Yes, yeah, so true. Um, and we, we know that, you know, that under, overdoses are still undercounted nationally. Uh, we also uh, feel very strongly that the government should start reporting on all substance use related deaths because overdoses are the only count that they're always giving. But we know that there are, you know, Julie's daughter is, is another example, right? Um, a fatal shooting. Um, endocarditis, sepsis, like the list of ways that people lose their lives due to substance use is really vast. And the government only talks about overdoses. But I think that we need to talk about all of it. If we actually talked about all of it, we would see that this epidemic is probably triple the size of the overdose fatality counts, you know. Well, we've also got new drugs coming on the scene all the time. This track that just rots people away. Oh, it's awful. It's just awful. Um, yeah. I visited Kensington um, this past year. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I visited Kensington this past year and um, saw firsthand the devastating effects down there of the xylazine and the drug supply. And we're just starting to see the early signs of it in Broome County and I think um, a lot of the direction, sadly, that the drug supply is heading in uh, is going to point us in the direction of only a few potential solutions to this issue. And it it might be that we start to understand that a safe supply might be the only answer to some of these issues. Yes. Yeah. What? Uh, very quickly, last question. What can people do to help you, to help Truth Farm? Uh, we're always looking for volunteers. We're always looking for uh, donations. We are looking for a couple board members uh, who have nonprofit board member experience. Um, even just following us on social media, sharing our posts, sharing information, sharing events is it, even those things are a really huge help 
Uh, we're very easy to find on all platforms of social media. And we have a website for the Trail of Truth, so trailoftruth.org. And we have a website for Truth Farm, truthfarm.org, with a PH, as you mentioned. Well, thank you. You've been listening to Alexis Plus, Executive Director of Truth Farm, right here on Radio Catskill. Alexis, thank you for being with us, and thank you so much for all the work you do. You mentioned that one of the things you're proudest of is the gift of saving lives, and you have certainly done that. We really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was so nice talking to you. Likewise. And that was Bill Williams with the Kingfisher Project live right here on Radio Catskill Local Edition. News and information keeping you connected in the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. Tune in next month, the first Tuesday of the month. That's when we bring you the Kingfisher Project. Information against addiction right here for the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. Stay where you are because coming up, it's the Music Emporium with Kusar Grace. Oh, keep listening and on, on air. <laughs> Remember, you can also listen online at WJFFradio.org. On your smartphone or on your smart speaker, just ask it to play Radio Catskill. Remember, we'll be back with our special International Women's Day edition of the local edition tomorrow evening. Got some flurries tonight, maybe a few snow showers, no real accumulation, overnight low down to 18. Tomorrow, partly cloudy, some sun with a high of 34. Support comes from Jeff Bank, Sullivan County's community bank for over 100 years. Meeting banking needs with a variety of deposit and loan products. Member FDIC and an equal housing lender. National Mortgage Licensing System and Registry Identification Number 405318. Jeff Bank, still banking strong. From Livingston Manor, dining, shopping, and the arts at the gateway to the Catskill Park. LivingstonManorNY.com.